Good evening, Concord Bible Church. Hi, Luke. Hey. <laughs> uh, a couple of weeks ago, when Jeremy told you that uh, you're going to hear a speaker from Tennessee, you may have been picturing someone other than me. Um, I was on vacation in Kentucky and Tennessee, so there was some truth to it. Unfortunately, I was unable to pick up the southern drawl, so you'll just have to live with my California accent. Okay, so I'm going to be uh, continuing the series on the Sermon on the Mount, and this time we're speaking based off of the, the passage in Matthew 5-7, which says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So the title of my sermon is, Who are the pure in heart? Now, I can't just give you that answer right off the bat, or else the sermon would only be about five minutes, and <laughs> we'd have to fill in with a bunch of other things afterwards. So just keep that in mind as I, as I go. But be before we answer that question, I feel compelled to start with the topic of the holiness of God, which I think is a topic that perhaps has not been talked about or thought about as much as it once was in the past. I remember uh, when I was younger, I would read these books that my dad had in his library and by people like Charles Spurgeon and Charles fin Finney. And there's a lot of talk about God's holiness and his perfection. And, uh, you know, I just think it's important for us not to forget that. I don't know if it's something to do with our modern culture and, and we may feel uncomfortable presenting God in that way because we want God to be approachable and as you'll see as i go farther he is approachable but we also must understand that he is perfect that he is holy that he's set apart and he uh he revealed this to the israelites through moses as as moses was leading them through the desert he, he gave them the ten commandments and he showed the israelites that he was not like the gods of the surrounding nations that were okay with child sacrifice and, and really did not have any type of moral standards to speak of, but he was a, a God that did care about every detail, that did care about justice. And of course, this also presented a problem because we as humans are sinners. And the Bible makes this clear that all people are sinners. And so they had to establish, establish a sacrificial system that would foreshadow what Jesus was going to do for us on the cross. And God had to make it clear just how horrible and offensive sin was. And he, and he made this clear by saying that sin, there has to be a death for sin. There has to be shedding of blood for sin. This was a way for him to communicate to the ancient Israelites that sin was nothing, no small thing, not, not something to, to, to downplay, but something that was that absolutely corrupts and, and mars the image of God. And uh, if you're anything like me, I think, you know, at times we may not totally relate to this because we all tend to kind of judge on a curve or a sliding scale and say, yeah, I know sometimes I do this and sometimes I do that, but, but look at that guy. He's doing a lot worse stuff. Or look at that person in the news who shot somebody or, or whoever it might be. We can always try to find somebody who looks worse than us and then just imagine that God certainly couldn't be upset with us with all the sin that we see around this world. But you must understand that's, that's not, not the God of the Bible. There's, there's no sliding curve. He, he establishes a standard and he demands that standard. So that presents a problem for us as humans that are born into sin. So we, we need to continue to explore this. And um, turn with me, if you will, to Psalms chapter 14 verses 2 and 3. 
And it says, I'm going to kind of go through this quickly, so I'm sorry if you don't catch up. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, any who seek after God. They have all turned aside together. They have all become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. And you notice he doesn't say, he doesn't, he doesn't just talk about the evil dictators of the world and the murderers and the rapists and the Hitlers. He says all, every single person, and a lot of people might not immediately relate to that. They might think, well, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I, I'm, I try to help people when I can. I try to be courteous. You know, I, I go out of my way to do things to help other people, whatever it might be. But according to God's word, according to the Bible, we're not even close. We, we all are born into sin and born with a corrupted nature. And I'm about to give you an illustration that I'm going to warn you ahead of time. It's very graphic. So I explained this to uh, my sister and my dad. And, and the second time I was going to say it, my dad didn't really want to hear about it again. So if anybody needs to cover their ears, don't worry. <laughs> but it's an important illustration in order to understand what I'm, I'm trying to say. So my wife and I, a few weeks ago, were uh, watching this show about hoarding. I don't remember the name of the show. I'm sure some of you have seen these types of shows. And um, this was probably the most extreme case that I've witnessed because it wasn't just a matter of collecting things. So the story basically is this lady's toilet breaks. And instead of doing what, you know, the majority of the population would do and go and find a plumber or figure out a way to fix a toilet, she decides to start using these plastic jugs to, to store the excrement. And so the camera pans onto her her house and you, you see all these jugs piled up with brownish yellowish liquid all over the place and you start to go wow how, you know this this hasn't just been going on for a little while this this could have been going on for like a year who knows and other people come in and they're trying to help her they're trying to rescue her out of the situation one guy goes in there and just just to see how she's she's doing it and he's just in shock one person comes in they have they have on their 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 mask and everything and they still can barely handle just trying to clean out her house. And so you would think she would be so thankful that she's rescued from this environment. And yet the entire time she's completely nonchalant about her situation as if there's really nothing that's a big deal. And to even go further than that, not only was she comfortable in there, but she, in the end, when they're telling her like this, we can't keep this building, it has to be torn down. It has to be reconstructed. She said, can I just go in there one more time to grab something that's been contaminated and eat it or something like that. And everyone sits with their jaw dropped like you you really need to do this one more time she says yeah you know like a drug addict who's trying to come off drugs i just need one more hit and so you know we hear that story and we're kind of in shock and yet isn't it the same way with with our sin and the way that god sees us that we're so acclimated to our sin and the environment that we're in that we don't really see ourselves the way that god sees us we don't really understand it and even Paul admits, he says, I can't even judge myself. Only God can, can judge me. We don't understand the depths of our sin. And so um, this, is the, this is what I think theologians would call um, total depravity. You know, it's, it's, it's not like we, we, it's not the way that we talk about making mistakes. Like, oh, I, I gave a great effort, but I came up a little short. No, this is, it's, it's, a, it's a complete corruption of our nature. And so man has recognized this but has come up with human forms in order to bridge this gap between God's holiness and and man's sin and so we we know about a lot of these religions we know about Islam we know about 
Mormonism, we know about Jehovah's Witnesses. But sometimes we fail to realize that Jesus was born into a time of extreme legalism, a time when the Pharisees had, had um, established all these different rules that people had to follow, and they'd really lost the true heart of God. And, um, you know, as, as soon as I mention the name Pharisees, most people who've been in church for any length of time will go, oh, yeah, I know who the Pharisees are. Those are the bad guys, right? <laughs> but, but, but try to put yourself in first century Israel before Jesus began his ministry and remember these were the, the experts. These were the guys that, that knew the Old Testament, that knew the Torah backwards and forwards. These were like the Bible answer men. You would go to these people to try to understand something about God. You would, you would think they were the closest to God and you would think they would be the first ones to know when the Messiah appeared. And yet we know that it ended up being exactly the opposite. They were the ones that were the enemies of Jesus. They were the ones that were blind to the reality of who Jesus was. And not only that, Jesus calls them hypocrites and he calls them whitewashed tombs. And when, when he says whitewashed tombs, in, at that time they would wash the outside of the tomb to make it look real nice and pretty and clean. But of course on the inside there's a rotting corpse. So he's making the point that the Pharisees were going around wanting everyone to think they were so good, making sure if they were ever going to do something nice, make sure people were watching, and make sure, make sure everyone knew they were the holiest people, and yet inwardly they were completely corrupt. Um, and these, I mean, again, remember, these are the very people that had memorized the Bible, that knew the Bible like no one else, and yet they missed who the Messiah was. They were not able to perceive who the Messiah was. They were not able to see him. So who were the people that did see God? Who were the people that did recognize Jesus as being the Son of God? Uh, contrary to what anyone would have thought, it was the people that were considered outcasts, the people that were considered the sinners. It was the prostitutes, it was the tax collectors, and it was fishermen who were just not considered part of the religious elite, part of the people that would be able to know who the Messiah was. But I think the thing that we sometimes fail to understand is the Bible actually says that God doesn't reveal himself to everyone. Now, that might kind of shock you. You might, well, what do you mean? Why wouldn't he reveal himself to everybody? Doesn't he want everyone to know him? Yes, and it says we're all accountable because we all have witnessed his creation. But when it comes to a greater specific revelation of who Jesus is, the Bible actually says that God has hidden himself from some people, which again, I think sometimes we overlook this. And uh, I want to read from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 and 27. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So, and oh, actually, I, I want to jump right away to another verse, and this is in Luke 18, 9 through 14. He also told, told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, 
one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so God, in essence, frustrated the efforts of the, of the Pharisees. And it even, you know, there's so many scriptures I could tell you about this. It says he, he frustrated the wisdom of the wise by revealing it to the people that, that you would consider uneducated and, and not part of the elite. And, and all this studying and all this effort by the Pharisees to understand God and to know God did not end up working. And this is, and, and Jesus really was this massive stumbling block to them because they, they wanted so much to get some kind of a credit for understanding God, for knowing God, for seeing God. They wanted to be elevated in some way. And yet God demolishes human pride and says, actually, you can't do it on your own. You can't even figure it out on your own. I have to reveal it to you. And that is, a, is just a, a major stumbling block for a lot of people to lay down their pride and accept that God has, has to reveal himself to you and you can't be good enough on your own. And so, as I said, God brought shame to the wise by revealing himself to those that were not considered, that were considered like children, that were not considered educated or elite. So at this point, I can now approach the question of, what are the characteristics of the pure in heart? Well, the thing I noticed in the Bible is that the, the pure in heart are aware of their sin when they come into the presence of God. In the book of Isaiah, when Isaiah has a revelation of God, he says, Woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. When Peter first encounters Jesus, and Jesus helps him to catch a lot of fish, he says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. And even the Apostle Paul, even after he had been in ministry for many years, said, called himself the chief of sinners. So this is kind of surprising. You, you, you think like even Paul, after all this time with God, isn't he one of the heroes of the faith? Isn't he one, shouldn't he be one of the ones at the top of the list? But you see, the more that we do see God, the, re, the more we actually see who we are in our sinful nature, who we are in our real self, and that's and we and we realize the depths of our sin. It's not we can only see the depths of our sin as we behold God. So, the other characteristic of the pure in heart is that they're humble. And I want to take a little time on this one um, because a lot of people I think have a, a false understanding of what humility is, and they think humility just means that you know you walk around and just always talk about how bad you are and you can't do anything right and you. But that's not really a biblical description of humility. A biblical description of humility is simply to understand the truth about who you are and the truth about who God is. And so I want to give you an example of this. On, on, my, on the way to my vacation, I, got, I was watching this documentary about uh, Evander Holyfield and Mike Tyson. E Evander Holyfield, they're, they're boxers, and Evander Holyfield was a strong Christian. And uh, in, the, in the 80s, Mike everyone knew who Mike Tyson was because he was... He was such a dynamic boxer. He had, 
he would just knock people out in, in the first or second round. And so the, the media kind of loved him. And um, I think as it progressed into the 90s, Evander Holyfield wanted a chance for the title. He wanted a chance to fight Tyson, but it kept getting pushed off. And, and then eventually Tyson got charged with rape and you had to go to jail. So there was about a two or three year period where Evander Holyfield was fighting and he did win the title, but he never was able to really get any credit for it. They always would say, well, yeah, yeah, of course you won because Tyson wasn't there. And when they interviewed him, you know, he just, he just said like, I know, I know who I am. He, he didn't stand up and thump his chest and talk about how great he is. He's like, you know, I know God has gifted me to be a boxer. I know I can do this. And finally, Tyson gets out of prison, and they're able to have this 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 fight. And uh, the the media just thinks it's going to be. A, they, they, I think they ask him, "When do you think Tyson will beat you? You know, will it be third round, fourth round?" And he's like, "No, I I'm I'm very confident that I can win this fight." And no, they didn't give him a chance, but eventually he wins the fight. And I, so I guess the main point I'm saying is, you don't have to lack confidence if you're humble. It's just an understanding of who you are. If God has gifted you to do something well, you can do something well, that's fine. But the humble aren't gonna stand up there and pound their chest and tell everybody. And a humble and a humble person isn't going to be offended if everyone's not talking about him and praising them all the time. And so I just really liked like that documentary to see that side of Evander Holyfield that he never he never let it he never became resentful. He didn't worry about it. He just kept working hard and and getting better at what he did and eventually he was lifted up because of because of his humility. And the last characteristic is that the, the pure in heart demonstrate genuine repentance. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 7.10, it talks about the difference between um, godly repentance and worldly repentance. And godly repentance will lead to life and, and worldly repentance leads to death. And the difference is, you know, repentance or humility doesn't just mean acknowledging God's existence or acknowledging the truth of the Bible, but it's an absolute change of direction in your life and a change of direction in your heart to where you allow God to work in you and you you give him the throne in your life. Um, and I think the amazing thing for me in, in just studying for this, for this sermon and, and, and preparing, I began to think a lot about how two different people can look at the same thing, the same piece of evidence, and come to polar opposite conclusions. And I, I saw this because I just, I just went and visited um, the Creation Museum and the Ark Encounter in Kentucky. And one of the things I, I bought after was, was this DVD where it was uh, a debate between Bill Nye and Ken Ham. So this is, this is a second debate. And as they're walking, they, they're kind of going back and forth and, and, and trading different arguments. But over and over again, Bill and I would just say, well, you, you can't talk about anything supernatural. That's, that's just against science. And I swear he said it four or five or six different times. And it's just, I just, he doesn't, he wasn't aware that he had this presupposition from the very beginning of this inquiry of God's existence that supernatural things was, were impossible. So he, he cut himself off from possible knowledge, but he would—he was completely blind to this. He kept—he also kept saying, "I'm open-minded. I'm open-minded. I just don't see any evidence. I don't see any evidence." And I couldn't help just being amazed at how even intelligent people can be looking at two intelligent people can be looking at the same thing and drawing completely different conclusions. And that is really what you see when it comes to a person who comes to faith 
and sees God and acknowledges his presence in the universe and his, that he deserves all glory for the creation and an atheist who will not is not willing to bow their knee and, and say that and so I just as you keep watching this debate you're just like there's nothing you're going to be able to ever say to Bill Nye that's going to change his mind he's he's already made up his mind and so but I don't want you to walk away from this sermon and think just oh that those are kind of extreme cases you know you have the Pharisees who were just so self-righteous and always pumping themselves up and then you have this you know Bill Nye who's an atheist but but this can affect us too um, and and what happens is when you begin to compromise in your walk with the Lord when you begin to sin and you know that you're sinning when you begin to do things that the Bible says not to do you begin to develop a spiritual blindness and it, it doesn't happen in one day it doesn't happen overnight it's it's small little decisions that will build up and all of a sudden you find yourself in a place where you say I, can't, I don't see God I don't see evidence for God but it's not that God ever went anywhere you began to sin you began to depart from God you began to not listen to him and as you did that you, you developed a spiritual blindness and um, there's some different examples that we have of this in the Old Testament there was a king named Asa and it, it describes him early in his as he was a king as being faithful to the Lord as, as tearing down the high places as doing a lot of things that God liked but as time went on he, some type of a compromise some type of a sin must set in and by the end he was not approved of by God he, he had fallen away from the Lord and allowed idolatry to come back into Israel another example is and I think I've probably given this example in a different sermon but I'm gonna do it again anyway is a guy named Josh Harris who wrote a book I kiss dating goodbye and he had a, a massive church and at one time if you were to watch interviews from him from maybe 10 years ago or so he would be talking about how much he loved the Lord and all, all these things and you say well, well this is this is great he's he sees God he knows God well now he denies God now he denies God's existence and he's living in rebellion so I don't know any of the backstory about what happened but I can see that the Bible tells us over and over again that if you allow sin to creep in your life that you will begin to be blind to God you will, you will start to lose your vision of God and so this it doesn't matter if you were born in the church not born in the church where you're from I think we have to be on guard against that in Proverbs 4:23 it says keep your heart with all vigilance vigilance for from it flows the springs of life and in Matthew 24 12 it says and because lawlessness will be increased the love of many will grow cold so this this passage in Matthew is referencing the end times whether or not we're in the end times we could you know debate that but the fact is as we see lawlessness around us it does does it does cause us to be desensitized and numb to the reality of sin and so we we have to encourage each other we have to encourage each other to seek the Lord we have to encourage each other to stay in the word we have to in in that way we keep our spiritual vision and the way, yeah the way you cultivate your spirit, spiritual vision i would say is by obeying the lord or whatever he shows you and I, I remember there was a quote from mark twain that said it's not the parts of the bible that i don't understand that are a problem for me it's the parts that i do understand so some of you might be like oh i don't, I don't understand the bible well, there's a lot of passages that really aren't that tricky i mean they're just blunt and and those are those kind of passages are not always easy to obey so my point is that as God reveals things to you as he shows things to you not just not just by reading the Bible but even just as the Holy Spirit speaks to you and says I want you to do this 
as you yield to him, you, you will grow in your spiritual vision. And, and even in this process, God might show you things about you that you didn't know. You're like, oh, I don't like that. That's bad. That doesn't mean you're not growing. That, that could mean you are growing. That could mean something that God is uprooting out of your life. And that could be, could be helping you. And so when we talk about who, who the pure in heart are that get to see God, don't have a wrong image in your mind that you have to have some type of a perfect record in your life and, you know, I've, you know, no one's ever seen me do anything wrong. Or the reality is if God were to show us our record, we'd be frightened. I mean, I don't want him to show me the record of the sins I've done in my life. It's not about that. It's, it's, it's not about that, that false external uh, human morality that tries to pretend like you're moral, but in, inwardly you're not. We're, none of us are able to achieve God's standard of perfection. But the only way that we can truly grow is to be transformed into his image, and that comes through obeying him. And uh, I want to, I wanna, uh, one more verse I need to read here. It's in, it's in John, John chapter 3 verses 19 through 21 and this is the judgment the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God and ultimately that's you know that's that's this God comes into the world and reveals himself in his light. And it's a question of, are we going to receive that? Are we going to humble ourselves? In that passage, it talks about how you can see that the good done in someone's life was done by God. Are you willing to give that glory to God? Are you willing to say, I can't be good on my own. I have to have God in my life. I have to let him into my life so that his image will be reflected out of me. I believe that if we can do that, as believers, if we can do that collectively as the body of Christ, as a church, that our witness to a dark world is going to be so effective. Because if if all all we're doing is just, you know, reading the Bible or talking about the Bible, aren't there other religions that do something similar? Don't the Mormons do that? Don't the Jehovah's Witnesses do it? But when you actually allow Jesus to come into your life, when you truly yield to him, his his light, his image is reflected to a dying and dark world. And that's going to be the most powerful witness that we can have. It doesn't mean every single person who sees that will necessarily repent, but we will be giving him the, them the truth of who God is. And so I think that's what God is calling us to do, and I think that's what it means to be pure in heart. So I just want to wrap up with a prayer, if you'll give me just a moment. Thank you, Father God, for this, this time tonight. I thank you for your word. And I just pray that uh, it would not be something that we just listen to, but that you would help each one of us to take this word that you've given and apply it to our life so that we can grow closer to you, so that we can know you, because it's, it is your desire to, to give us good things, to give us good gifts, and to transform us and set us free. I just We just acknowledge before you that we are unclean and that we need a Savior. We, we need to be cleaned. In Jesus' name, amen.